Welcome to another episode of the Hooper's Almanac. My name is Aaron Carter, and today Mitchell Sell and I are going to discuss the Washington Wizards, a team we didn't expect to discuss too much this year, but they've really surprised us, and we're going to talk about why we think they could maybe hold on to their momentum throughout the rest of this year. We're also going to talk about two other teams we were pretty high on at the beginning of the year, the Atlanta Hawks and the Sacramento Kings. They've disappointed Mitch and I so far, both out of the playoff picture at the moment, so we're going to talk about why. We're also going to share our top 10 point guards, Mitch and I, a few differences along our list, but we're excited to kick into that as well. And lastly, we're going to wrap up with cereal and brews as always. We hope you all enjoy this episode. Before we get going, let's bring in our friends from Green Top. We are back here at the Hooper's Almanac for another episode, Better Than Ever. And today, Mitch, we're going to talk about the Washington Wizards to kick things off. I don't think I ever thought I'd be saying those words um, when we started this podcast a few months ago. The Wizards are first in the East, Mitch. Um, First off, how are you doing and how are you feeling about these Washington Wizards? Well, first off, I am doing well. Uh, Crazy weekend in Columbia. Brought it back to St. Louis today. Uh, But, you know, only to talk about these Washington Wizards. Uh, You know, I... I'm not going to toot my own horn here, Aaron. I I was the one guy who said the Wizards over during the over under podcast for East. Uh, I know Aaron it was shy shied away from it a little bit. Um, I don't remember what Rob picked, but um, I was the over. I went for the over on the 34 and a half, and man, that number looks great due to the fact we're almost a third of the way there. Um, this team just looks it looks very. This team looks very good. It has great pieces all around it, and it looks very deep. Yeah. 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 I mean, those pieces, like you said, that they brought over from the Lakers, which we had referenced previously. I mean, those are all solid NBA role players. Now I had my doubts about Kyle Kuzma. He's clearly proven me and many other people who doubted him wrong. Um, In many cases, he's been their best scorer. I mean, Bradley Beal is leading the team in scoring, but Kuzma stepped up in many different games to lead the team in scoring. Um, in, in specific matchups so far this year. So he's really impressed me just the way he's been shooting the ball. He looks like a different player, a lot more aggressive. Um, KCP's playing really well. And the guy I've been most impressed with has been Montrez Harrell. This is a guy I, I sort of singled out at the beginning of the year because he really wasn't getting any run in LA for absolutely no reason other than Frank Vogel just being incompetent. So, you know, he's, he's playing great. He's scoring almost 20 points a game. Their key rebounder, um, you know, coming off the bench too. I mean, he's doing all this off the bench. Um, so I've, I, I've been really impressed with him. Bradley Beal has taken a step back um, sort of from his outburst last year, but with all these different guys that they've had come in who can score the ball, um, I think that was to be expected. And I think he's handled that pretty well and sort of taken a more, you know, leadership distributor role than he did last year. So I'm really excited to see, how this team continues to progress. It seems like Wes Unsell Jr. hasn't been a good place and clearly good enough right now to be first in the East. I don't think that'll last, but um, impressive start nonetheless. No, I completely agree. And I don't, I don't, don't get me wrong. I don't think this will last. I think this team has the ability to, we've talked about its depth a lot. I mean, Beal is, of course, their one A guy. Um, and however, this team doesn't have like their a number one guy that I think could win a, a title for him by any means. Beal, it definitely isn't that, but it has a it reminds me of like those like Raptors teams. It has guys that you know will still perform well and they'll perform big on nights that you need them to. 
Um, and while it's not Kyle Lowry, it's Bradley Beal, who's much more of a score scoring type. Um, you have the bully guys when it comes to Harrell and Dinwiddie, who are and Dinwiddie's also a great score for them. He can alleviate some of that scoring load that Beal uh, has had to carry on a lot over since like since the wall injuries. Even last year when Westbrook was hacking up 30 shots a game, it was it was Bradley Beal who had to kind of stay the ship this year. Bradley Beal is not shooting well from three. He's shooting 25% from three this year. He's shooting 40% from the field. And it's because he doesn't, he hasn't felt like that. It's because teams are singling him out more because of last year's success. But now he's able to give the ball up to guys like Kuzma, KCP, Dinwiddie, um, and even like some guys off the bench when it comes like to Neto, who's really shocked me. I've never thought this man would be ever said out of my mouth on a podcast by any means. Um, and even like guys like Aaron Holiday, who I thought I, I thought was going to make such a good impact for them off the bench. He's only averaging like just under six points a game. But still, I mean, having a guy like that to come off your bench, who's a good energy guy. Um, I feel like that's my most overused word on this podcast too is energy guy. But um, but no, seriously, this team has is so deep. It's it reminds me of like those early uh, those mid 2010s Raptors teams that just like had the depth but never had the the ability to actually do anything once they made the playoffs. I think you know one of the biggest things, and we'll see if this is just early season performance that sort of gets you know muted after the whole 82 game season plays out. But their defense has really. Mm-hmm stepped up and I don't know if that's a West unsell thing or a personnel thing or a little bit of both, but their defense was horrendous last year. Brutal. I, mean, I, I, I think I, I was watching highlights of the wizards nets game last year, a couple, couple days ago. And it was like the, the final score in regular time was like in both, both teams were in the one forties. And I mean, obviously that's, that's an extreme case, but it felt like every night teams were getting, over 110, 120 points against mm-hmm. the Wizards. And they were just having to outscore teams, which they they did toward the end of the year. But that's why they started so slowly, um, in part to Russell obviously starting slowly with the Wizards. But their defense wasn't helping them out at all. And this year they are. Um, sixth in points allowed. They have the top three-point defense in the in the league right now. Um, obviously the rebounders, like I said, in Harrell, Gafford's playing really well too, yes. protecting the rim. Um, so, so I think their defense is a big part of this. Obviously they have those role players who are alleviating pressure off of Bradley Beal, which is important, but I think the defense also alleviates pressure off of Bradley Beal thinking, you know, I don't have to go out and score 35 to make, right. to, to essentially win this game. I can score 15 and my team can carry me with other, other shooters, you know, our defense, all that stuff. So I think that's a huge, um, sign of improvement for them as well. I agree. And the other thing is, I mean, you talk about defense, it all comes from this idea of having that uh, mentality of like, I'm, it's this team mentality. It's not this individualistic mentality that you, you I mean, you kind of see with some other teams who are like in the situation who have like depth. Um, they have a bunch of guys who are trying to prove themselves. Kuzma is one of those guys. I mean, we talked about it during the uh, Eastern Conference breakdown. I, I predicted a big year for Kuzma and he's kind of showed up this year. He's leading that team in three point percentage right now. And it's, it's shown because he's got a, he's trying to prove himself that he is what he was that first year in the league. He's got guys like Dinwiddie who's trying to prove, hey, I'm not just this injury injury prone point guard 
who has some offensive talent. No, I'm a guy who can not only lead a team who can be like that secondary, that secondary scorer, but also be a secondary playmaker when it comes to passing the ball and also just kind of even stepping up on defense, which he kind of didn't, who, which was not really expected of him on the Kenny Atkinson, Steve Nash Nets teams. Um, Montrez Harrell has proved is trying to prove himself. Like we've talked about just like, like you said earlier, the Lakers weren't playing him at all down the stretch. And so this has given him the opportunity to come off the bench and do what he was doing with the Clippers, literally just bully ball down low. Um, these, it, this team is just a bunch of guys who are trying to prove themselves, even guys like KCP as well. They've also beaten your Celtics, Mitch. I know, you know, this sort of hits close to home for you twice this year, mm-hmm. um, twice in three games um both were relatively close but they did you know beat a celtics team that was projected to be far better this year than they currently are what have you seen from those games in 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 that matchup against the wizards specifically well i mean in the first matchup beal did not do anything and it was and they were relying on guys like carroll to and then what he did do to take that scoring load like you talked about earlier it's just been crazy to see how not dependent they are on Beal this year and it's it's just so different than what they've had to deal with in the past like two or three years um with whenever they didn't have wall and like last year with Westbrook there was a lot of reliance on Beal hey you got to go out there and score 30 a night like you said um it's been great because then they've got they have a bunch of guys who are willing to come in and do the work and what's craziest about all this Aaron is that Rui Hashimura hasn't played a minute for this team yet this man once he gets back this team is going to be better it's, you're gonna you're gonna be losing minutes for Davis Bartons. Finally, we get that man off the court, and we won't have to worry about that man touching the basketball. But it's because once we have Hachimura back, this team this team only gets better once they get him back. Davis Davis Bertans is a perennial most frustrating starting five player. As as I said a couple weeks ago on Halloween, I think that was that was that episode. He mm-hmm. is oh my gosh! I cannot wait until he plays zero minutes. And doesn't hook up eight threes a game for absolutely yep. no reason when they're literally the other four players he's playing with at that time are all better scores than him. Uh, beyond frustrating. Um, well, they are nine and three, Mitch, first in their division, first in the conference. They are in one of the tougher divisions in the East, in my opinion. I mean, I I slated them fourth coming out of the coming out of their division this year. Um, I thought the Heat would be better than them. The Heat are very good you know, only a game and a half back from them right now. It's not like they're performing underperforming this year, but Charlotte, another good team as well as Atlanta, you know, very tough division. Do you think this is something that the wizards can sustain throughout the year, or do you expect them to sort of falter and fall to one of the middle seeds in the East come, uh, come April? You know, I truly believe this team has the ability to stay hot, but man, you know, I, I also feel like, one injury to like its main scores, whether it's Beal, Dinwiddie, or even Harrell, it, it just goes downhill from there. So, you know, I, I heard, I'm saying I, I went over in the 34 and a half because I still, I believe they're a play in playoff team. So I feel like, man, that seven, eight seed could totally be them uh, when it, when, it, when it, all the dust settles and everything, when it, when we get to May and April um, six, I think five, five is probably their height of it. Like the, their ceiling. Uh, but I feel like, man, this never, it's, it's a great feeling I'm sure for them right now, but man, they, they haven't, they've had so I won't say they've had a, incredibly easy schedule but it's been it's been on the lighter load of things i feel like um whenever the season has started so i think five is probably where i have them when it all at the highest i'd see them uh to end the season what about you aaron yeah yeah i i agree i think they're definitely going to fall i don't see them staying 
at the one spot. I don't see them staying within the top three. You know, we've we definitely given them a lot of praise so far, and 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 rightly so. Wes Unseld's turned the ship around from the Scott yes. Brooks off the rails shit show that it was uh, last year. Um, but you know, I think this team still definitely does have a, a very um, a, a high floor and a low ceiling, in my opinion. I think this could very well be a team that upsets somebody in the first round. You know, last year, I believe the Wizards matched up with the the Sixers in the first round. Didn't play very well. I think if that same matchup were occurred this year, maybe like a 3-6 matchup, um, I think the Wizards could beat them. The way they have their bigs right now, Gafford can throw bodies and fouls at Embiid. Montrez Harrell is another big guy off the bench. So I really like their ability to match up with some of the top teams in the East in that first round and make it, make it a competitive series. But I still don't have faith right now for them to be a top three, top four seed in the East after an 82 game season. So I agree. I agree with you. And yeah, I just, I, a first round upset is is about as good as it'll get for them. Um, But like you said, I mean, this team is outproved out showing a lot of the teams in this division. One of those teams in that division that we were super excited about. That's really underwhelming us is the Atlanta Hawks. Um, Aaron, they are, they're, they're killing us right now. They really are. And I mean, Trey Young said it best. They, they have not had fun this year because it's, it's, it's not the playoffs. You know, they had that first experience for a young team. And it's like, oh my God, it feels so great to win in big environments. And Trey Young stepped up and the rest of those guys stepped up. And then you come back and it's like, even though your fans are back and it should be exciting and that you, you sort of have expectations now as a team. So it's a little bit different. Right. You know, it's, it's easy to win or easier to win when you aren't expected to, you know, you're motivated to go out and prove everybody wrong, but now you have more pressure on yourself. It's like now we're expected to actually beat these teams and compete for a title. So I think that definitely plays a role. It sounds like the guys in that locker room have sort of been fighting with that um, after coming off of a a long playoff run there. I have confidence that Nate McMillan and and Trey Young are going to be able to lead this team back to at least relevancy in the Eastern conference right now. They're far, far out of the playoffs um, so I think, I think the team around them, they just have too many good players and too many good scores to continue to perform this poorly. I think their defense is a big issue. Um, and I think that's proven so far. Trey Young's had some issues early on with the adjustment to the new foul rules. I think that also, you know, evens out as we go on, but I haven't been impressed to say the least, but I think this is, you know, a short-term worry for me and not a long-term worry for the Hawks. I, I don't, I agree with you. I think this is just a, you know, this is early season. We are so early in the season and we keep saying it every week. That's just how really it is. Um, we're 13 games in they're five and eight. There haven't really, they did win today. They play. So this is, we're recording this Sunday, uh, November 14th. Uh, they beat the bucks today in a 20 point win. Then again, the bucks are also uh, down Brooke Lopez and um, Chris Middleton. Um, but you know, this team just, like you said, their defense is so bad. I mean, they haven't had a game this entire month of November where they've got, they've let up under a hundred points. It's been triple digits, no matter what, it's a lot different than that wizards team who could that uh, even still the wizards lost to him at the beginning of the month. Um, This wizards, I mean, the Hawks just don't have defense whatsoever. And so that's just, what's going to kill them. Um, You know, I thought guys like Hunter and even Capella would be just enough to stir and just even stall like any sort of offense. But man, no, they are they're struggling. 
But we have, I mean, but they've shown their depth. That's the thing, though. They yeah. have a bunch of different guys who can go get 20 in a night. Um, guys like Cam Reddish, who just showed up out of nowhere um, after not really having much playing time last year in the McMillan system. So uh, I'm excited, and because he was hurt as well. Uh, but, yeah, I think, you know, this team gets its defense together. They might have to make – I. They might have to make a move to make it get like an actual defensive guard because Bogdanovich, Herder, and Williams, and Yun, that ain't going to cut it on defense. Because if you're trying to, in the Eastern Conference alone, you're trying to stick with guys like Drew Holiday, you're sticking with um, a James Harden. And if Kyrie comes and plays uh, Kyrie, uh, you're sticking with Butler and, and uh, Lowry on the Heat, it's not going to work. And that's why teams like the Wizards could give them a run for their money too with Beal and Dinwiddie at the guard spot. It's just this team needs guards who can defend. I, I don't worry about their uh, forwards and bigs at all from defending because Gorgie Dane and Capella are good uh, centers to like hold down the fort but behind it all. But man, those guards just—that's what's going to kill them when it when it all the dust settles. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And another team, Mitch. You know, the Hawks been struggling out of the gate. Another one of our teams that we pegged early on in the year to succeed is the Sacramento Kings, and they did succeed early on. Um, right now, they're sitting at five and eight outside of the playoff picture, but they have lost four in a row. So at one point, you know, they were five and four above five hundred. I think that's more the team that they are. I think they're hovering right around 500. I don't think they're the team where they are now, where at least what their record shows. I think they also have huge defensive issues. I mean, they do have a few guys who can play really good defense. Davion Mitchell, their rookie being one of them. Um, But I think just getting consistency from their big men has been sort of an issue this year, as well as De'Aaron Fox. Um, I mean, De'Aaron Fox the other night had like 30, 30 plus, but then Harrison Barnes had nine. You know, it's just inconsistency inconsistency from their top scorers. Barnes has been great this year. Um, but other than that, it's been sort of an off and on show for Darren Fox. Tyrese Halliburton's been in and out of the lineup. Davion Mitchell hasn't shot the ball great early on. Buddy Heald shot well, but again, it's like then he's a defensive liability, so he's not always out there in crunch time. So I think they got to do some lineup you know, manufacturing to figure out what their crunch time lineup is. I don't think Luke Walton knows that. And I think he also needs to figure out, you know, what bigs are their go-to bigs in crunch time outside of Rashawn Holmes, if he's having an off night, which he's had a few. Um, I, I really like how they've been putting in their, their rookie um, Metu out of Utah state. He's a great defender, um, sort, sort of similar to Daniel Gafford in my mind, um, sort of a physical big, um, that can really protect the rim. So I like him coming off the bench and I'm really glad that they haven't played Tristan Thompson hardly at all this year, but I still think they have a lot to figure out. Um, and I think they should be competing for the playing game, but definitely not loving what I've seen in the last four games at the very least. This team just gives me so much pain because I, I told you whenever we talked about them in the Western conference breakdown, this team is always a team that I'm high on because I'm like, man, maybe this is the year Darren Fox will maybe like get efficient. No, maybe this is the year that buddy Hill decides, you know, Hey, I'm actually going to like make the sh- like over 40%, 40% of the shots I take. No. And Halliburton man, after having such a great rookie year has just not performed as well as we all were wanting them to. And maybe it's because of just the amount of guards they have on their team. Also, Aaron, we totally didn't take into account how maybe bad of a coach Luke Walton is. I feel like yeah. that might be one of the things we didn't really even think about when we were talking about this team, which is I feel it kind of killed us because Luke Walton on those Lakers, when he was coaching Lakers, bad. Luke Walton, his only success was when he 
when he did coach the uh, the the Warriors on that undefeated stretch right. there. But coach, coach in coach in parentheses. Right. Or because quote, it, quotation marks. Yeah. Right. It was it wasn't him. It was the fact that this team that team was already built to be incredible. The yes. Lakers, whenever he was coaching them, bad. The Kings, since he's taken over, have not been great. Um and I don't want to think they should. I mean, they're they're not bad enough to where they should fire him, but it's just something that they have to look at during this offseason because some of the decisions they've made when it comes to like the, down the stretch, I don't think the ball. I mean, as good as Aaron Fox is, the ball should not be in his hands for the last second shot. It should be in Harrison Barnes mm-hmm. or even Buddy Heald at some points, whenever. But Aaron Fox is one of those guys. I feel like in the NBA right now who doesn't understand the idea of a hot streak. And whenever there's a guy on your team that's shooting the lights out, that you should get him the ball. And as a point guard, that should be something you get understand. But it's something that has just bothered me about him uh, this year. And I, man, it, I just wish he was better. And I just want him to be better. Aaron, is that too much to ask for? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Luke Walton, going back to just his coaching ineptitude, um, <laughs> There may be some culture issues within that locker room, it appears, based on a few days ago, Marvin Bagley refusing to enter the ball game when, I guess, Luke Walton or an assistant coach called on him. I'm not sure if that sentiment is shared by other players within that locker room. It is a very young team. So typically with young teams, if you don't have buy-in, that can go off the rails very, very, very quickly, especially how talented some of those guys are on that roster and how high of draft picks they were to sort of feel that sense of like, I deserve better than this. Um, So I, so I think that could go south very quickly. Um, The Kings have typically had a history of that. Like they haven't been able to find a long-term head coach. You had like the Jaeger years, um, Michael Malone. Now the current Nuggets head coach was actually pretty successful there um, before moving on. So I think they need, they definitely need to figure out that part of their team. But I think in terms of their personnel, they have all the pieces they need to at least be competitive in the Western conference. They have a good enough offense. They just need to figure out what players fit in what scenarios. And honestly, that lays the feet of Luke Walton. So I think, I mean, in the, in the long run, I think this team should be in the playing game, maybe a nine, 10 seed. But I think at, at the end of the day, they should not be performing at a five and eight record and losing to like the San Antonio Spurs by 20 points. That just should Shouldn't be happening. I was going to say the past two, uh, the, the first two losses of this four game losing streak were close games against the Suns and the Pacers. Two teams that I feel like it's valid. I mean, it's valid to lose to. They're especially when you're playing uh, the whenever you're playing the Suns in general. That's that's a valid loss. And and the pay. I mean, the Pacers were on the road in Sacramento. That's just not a great loss. But it's still it's the it's the, the Indiana Pacers who will have games like that. And especially with the fact that the Kings couldn't seem to score was killing them. But when you lose the Spurs by 20, and then you go to lose to the really bad Oklahoma City Thunder, who are also streaking on the upside right now, um, the fact that they're in the playing game right now is crazy to me. But no, when you lose the the uh, when you're so you're up on the Thunder too, and then you lose your lead against them, that's just not a good look anyway. Uh, this team, yeah, this team has its holes. The Marvin Bagley thing, I mean, Marvin Bagley was told at the beginning of the year that he wasn't going to get, he wasn't a part of the rotation, and so. I don't blame him for having his issues because he is a number two pick. He's been having his injury issues. I feel like they should have, he should have been included in the rotation. And if he isn't, I feel like that should be, that's a, the thing is this team also has trade pieces. Like you don't need 
the fact that Harkless is, still has a job in the NBA is something <laughs> that bothers me. So if you're going to trade, if you, I say you trade Bagley, get a good three, like a solid, like th- good three and D a wing to come and replace him. That way they can actually like have another guy to go to down in the end and also would help their defense. I feel like I'm not, I'm, I was trying to think of someone right off the bat here. And of course now I've blanked on it. Maybe a guy like Tory Craig, if they can get like Tory Craig, uh, because the Pacers could use a backup big too, just because I know Miles Turner and Sabonis are just injury prone men. Marvin Bagley goes to Indiana. I feel like that wouldn't be terrible. And I feel like Craig would actually have an uh, opportunity to play more than he is getting in Indiana. Yeah. And they're, they're definitely a candidate for many trade machine posts from different journalists and, and commentators and agents out there right now. It seems like Deer and Fox has been put in a million trades, uh, proposed potential trades, same with Buddy Heald. So I think it's inevitable if they sort of stay, especially if they're a team that like might make the playoffs. I think that's maybe even more likely they make a deal, um, but they also could make a deal if they just completely falter this year and, and fool both of us and just not perform well. So um, it definitely could be a blow up candidate as well. Um, but I, I think another thing we sort of overlooked, Mitch, earlier on in the year is is their division, just just how good it is. I mean, the Warriors being the best team in the NBA right now, the Phoenix Suns back to where they sort of were last year. And then you have the Clippers and Lakers who have sort of the Clippers have performed better than Lakers, but still very average team in the West. Same with the Lakers. But in terms of just the talent level within this division, I mean, absolutely absurd. Um, and maybe that's sort of a case for why the Hawks and the Kings are where they are now. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, we are talking about two of the toughest teams in each conference. I would play in the toughest divisions in each conference. We're maybe predicting that the the Pacific brings five all five teams to the playoff uh, the playoffs slash play in, which would be ridiculous. That hasn't been done since the Atlantic did that back in the like late twenty tens. So uh, that would be crazy if that actually happened. Um, but I'd be excited to see. Uh, you know, I feel like if the Canes can turn around and win the games that are out of their division, I feel like they'll be they should be in a good spot. And if they don't, then they just screw us and we just have a bad we had we had a bad <laughs> pick on on their over. Right. Completely agree. Well, hopefully the Kings and the Hawks can figure it out. We're going to take a short break and come right back with our top 10 point guards as it stands now in the league. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Hooper's Almanac. Mitch is getting ready to share his wisdom on the point guards in the NBA as it stands now. Um, Mitch, we're about to share our top 10 list of who we think are the best performing point guards at this moment. This does not include point guards that haven't played a, a snap or a, a, a jump ball this year at all. I'm sorry. I'm in, I'm, I'm in football brain right now. I was going to say Sunday. snap. What are we doing here, man? <laughs> you got on me about talking about baseball earlier this year. I don't right. want to hear it. <laughs> right. Well, uh, excluded players that haven't played at all this year. So that doesn't include Ben Simmons. Um, that means that Jamal Murray is also not included. Some other some other point guards that maybe we would add into this list. But Mitch, we're going to discuss our top 10. We're going to go back and forth of who are the point guards we would want to start our franchises with if we were GMs or owners, who we would trust in the most dire scenarios. Um, So I'll just kick it to you. Who is your number 10 point guard? And we'll go down toward one. Yeah, so my number 10 point guard, it's a guy who's relatively new to the league. He's in his second year. Uh, my, My number 10 is Lamella Ball. Uh, Lamella Ball has just shown he has his moments in three fourths of the time when he plays. He has his these spectacular games, and he has games where he goes off and he shows that he has the ability to score well, and he also has 
a great offensive talent. Defense isn't really there yet, and I and it's the Australian uh, league in him still hasn't hasn't kicked in yet. So, uh, you know, I feel like that's the that is a part he just needs to get better at, and also just maybe show a little more energy too. Also, just being those like I said, three fourths of the end, that fourth that fourth game there. Uh, if he can also just not shoot like three for fifteen in the, in those games, that would make him a little better. Uh, but I feel like Lamelo Ball just has such great upside. He has such a, a good clutch gene, a gene, but he also just has no fear in his body at all. And like it's a constant like heat check moment for him. And it, while it has those bad moments, more than often than not, uh, it's just it's it's incredible to watch. He has such a great finesse on when it comes to passing and playmaking. Uh, so Lamelo Ball is my ten. Aaron, who is at number ten for you? Well, Mitch. To, to sort of preface this, I should have said this earlier. You mentioned to me before we got on air that there were going to be some surprises in your top 10. Well, so far, there have been no surprises as it compares to my list because my number 10 point guard is also LaMelo Ball. Let's go. Um, so a line from the beginning, we'll see. Maybe we're both crazy and, and, and we're not going to surprise each other, but the listeners will be just completely blown away by our um, lack of analysis here, I suppose. But <laughs> But LaMelo Ball is my number 10. Um, you know, there are definitely some things, as you said, that frustrate me. If he shoots 15 threes in a game and makes like one or two, I've seen a few of those games this year. He needs to learn, you know, maybe I should take a step back. He's such a good facilitator that he doesn't need to keep pucking it up if he doesn't have it that night. That's something that'll come with time and wisdom. But I think, you know, another thing that concerns me about him and is sort of why I had him lower on this list now is just his pure size as a, as a point guard. He's six seven very frail, like 170 pounds. I remember I was watching the Hornets Knicks game when they stormed back the other day, they were down by 20, ended up winning um, in overtime, very exciting game. But I was sitting next to my girlfriend and I was like, this dude's six foot seven and I weigh more than him. And he, and she just looked over at me and was like, what are you serious? Um, so, I, so I think that's an area where he has to grow in as well. But at the end of the day, he's extremely talented, maybe one of the most talented guys on this list in terms of raw ability and I think we're starting a franchise. Clearly, he's made fans across the world excited about the Charlotte Hornets, which not even Michael Jordan could do as their owner. So I think LaMelo's got a bright future ahead of him. I've enjoyed watching him. Um, I know others sort of find him frustrating, but I think he deserves to be in the top 10. I don't disagree. But, well, Aaron, so we both have the same number 10. Then who is your nine? The, the, maybe we'll have some variation here. And we'll see. Um, DeJounte Murray is my number nine point guard from the San Antonio Spurs. Um, I thought about this one quite a bit. I really wanted to get him in here just because, well, one, I wagered on him this afternoon and he cashed in for me. Um, <laughs> he just he just constantly fills up the stat sheet. I mean, he does everything you need him to do for that team. When he was first drafted, a lot of players were or a lot of analysts were sort of surprised he went that high that the Spurs took that reach. At that point, when he was drafted, he was really known as a great defender and not a great scorer, but he's really grown as a scorer in this league. And as a great facilitator, he's got enough um, strength and height to be a good rebounder as well, averaging over seven boards a game. And he's maybe the only exciting piece of the San Antonio Spurs team. So I think, you know, part of that might be a bad, bad team, good stats sort of vibe, but I truly believe in him and I, I'm been impressed by his growth so far. And I think if you're on a different team, we'd be talking about him a lot, lot more. So I like DeJounte Murray and he comes in at nine for me. Well, I, I think that's a great nine. He is a part of my honorable mentions. He was okay. that number 12 for me uh, on my top, on my list. Uh, that is a great, I do, but I do appreciate that pick because I also really do like DeJounte Murray a lot. Um, 
man, if he was, uh, especially early on when he was on those Spurs teams, even when Kawhi was there, oh, mm-hmm. that defense was electric. And it was just so stifling to watch. Uh, my number nine, Aaron, is Malcolm Brogdon. I really, and Malcolm Brogdon does everything you would want in today's point guard. The only thing this man can't do, seem to do, is stay healthy. And that is my one issue with this guy. But this year, he's played great. Uh, averaging just over 22 points a game, over seven boards, just under seven assists. And he's such a good defender, great on-ball defender. The Pacers have loved what he's brought to this team. There's a reason the Pacers paid that money for him and the Bucks were stupid and didn't pay that money for him and decided to pay it to Eric Bledsoe years ago. Still doesn't make any sense to me, whatever. Um, but Malcolm Brogdon, his former rookie of the year, has shown what how good he can be, and he has shown how good of a leader he has been for this Pacers team. He's a, I feel like him and Murray are just on in the opposite conferences doing the exact same thing for such semi decently ish boring teams. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think Malcolm Brogdon, uh, Malcolm Brogdon is number nine on my list. He also gets to the rim really well for yeah. a for a smaller guard, which I'm really impressed with. Very crafty, sort of being able to change speeds and draw fouls at the rim. Um, so I'm, yeah, great pick. Um, I'm behind you there. I actually left him off my list, unfortunately, honorable mention as well for me, um, as you had for Murray. So sort of flip-flop there, Mitch, who do you have at eight? My brother's going to love me for this one. Um, it's SGA, Shea Gilgis Alexander. I think this, he is one of the most underrated players in the NBA and it's because he plays on a really bad team, but, and it's, and I think this is a different, I think it might be good stats on a bad team situation, but man, the, the guy is so he's been efficient. He has done well on both sides. He's a very good two-way player. Um, I don't think this, and he, he and Dort have single-handedly led this Thunder team with a few Mike Muscala random 20 point games in there, which have never made sense to me, but whatever. Um, Just the fact that, you know, Gil, SGA has done what he has done with this team two years in a row. Now this is, and the reason, this, they literally thundered it literally sat him last year because they wanted to tank because he was doing too well for them. Um, I think he is just such a great talent. He is going to be so good for the NBA. I don't think he will ever be, he will be forever at best a one B player for a, a championship team. He can't be your number one guy. That's why he was so good when that thunder team with Chris Paul and him was so good because Chris Paul could defer to him whenever he needed to. Um, I like this. I like him a lot. And the fact that he can just be both uh, play both sides of the ball. Plus he's got good size for a, a guard himself. I, he's like six, three, six, four. Uh, no, sorry. Six, six, ignore me. Six, six. Um, but he, he's just such a, but he also has that uh, Lamello factor of being semi little, little thin boy. So mm-hmm. if he can build up that muscle, but he also is just so quick and gets to the rim as well. So looks like Brog, Brogdon. Yeah. Yeah. I, I unfortunately had to leave him off my list. I tried to find every way to get him on. So I'm sorry, Evan Sell, but I just <laughs> couldn't do it. I think he's a fantastic player and one that has clearly made the Thunder a better team, uh, considering they had to essentially tank and, and, and refuse to let him play, even though he's completely healthy. Um, and I think that's maybe why this year they're outperforming and damn near 500 uh, despite the rest of their roster. So I'm really impressed with him. I think he's going to be a top 10 point guard in years to come, but considering the rest of these guys in this list, I could not bring myself to do it, but I respect the pick. Um, my number eight is drew holiday. Um, you know, drew holiday. If you're looking through the ESPN offensive stat leaders, you're going to have to scroll quite a long way down to find him. 
only 13 and a half points per game. But what he does is, you know, really not found on that offensive side of the stat sheet, his defensive potential being one of the best defenders on ball and off ball in the NBA. He's a great leader, it seems as well, and, and really a critical piece of this championship team. Um, so, I, you know, I think Drew Holiday does all the right things. He's somebody I had on my, you know, last shot against the aliens, you know, like this is the five guys I want on my team. He was one of them. Um, I just think he does everything that you, you'd want. And um, he's number eight for me. I'm mad at myself because I had him at number 11. And the fact that you had him that high, I was like, man, because he is, he, I mean, I literally have him on my team. I literally have him on my, like if winner takes all, I have him choosing to take my life, uh, to take my life at his hands. But (laughs) I think, you know, there, gosh, I have no really good rebuttal for that because he is so good, but he, I think there's just the, the guys I have ahead of him already have just in my heart, have just been better for just this league so far this year yeah I mean I mean when it comes to offensive potential like when you see him on the offensive side of the ball it's like Drew do you have to shoot that three like come on man you can swing the ball you can drive but he's also so crafty like it's back to the whole Brogdon and SGA thing he gets the rim at well with his little spin move he just puts his ass into people and they just like fly across the court and he just is a great passer great defender he's an excellent rebounder for his size too um talk about bad trades I mean the fact that the New Orleans Pelicans let him walk for, I mean, they traded him, but for, right. for very low price was, I mean, one of the worst trades in my opinion, considering where the Pelicans are, where they are now. But I, you know, I think Drew Holiday should be on every top 10 list. So I think that's a tragedy that you don't have him, but it's all right. The, the Pelicans have made some very stupid decisions anyways, pretty recently <laughs> anyways, when it comes to trades, David Griffith should be fired. And so that's a different man for a different time. Right. Um Aaron, number seven after that is just ahead of Drew Holiday. That would be Damian Lillard, um, his teammate at, at the Olympics here in Tokyo just this past year. Um, I think if you would have had me rank this before the season, Damian Lillard would be a lot higher. But I think depending on, you know, how these other players ahead of him and even around him have played, I think he's dipped a little bit for me. And I tried to sort of eliminate recency bias when it comes to his shooting performance. Cause he's really started the season slow. I think he's shooting under 30% from three, which is ridiculous, but at the end of the day, he deserves to be in the top 10, no ifs, ands, or buts, you know, he's the clutchest player in the NBA, arguably, um, you know, he's actually a really good passer, which a lot of people don't give him credit for as well. And he's really led this team to be competitive almost every year, albeit they haven't succeeded in the playoffs, but, I don't think that's his fault at all. I feel like he's always held up his end of the bargain and it's been the team around him that has been either poorly reconstructed or failed to perform in the playoffs. So I think, you know, it's still always Dame time. He's in the top 10 for me and he comes in at number seven, despite his slow performance this year. I also have him at number seven. There we go. Um, I, I nearly debated taking him off my list. That was yeah. the thing just with how bad he's looked this year. Um, you might have overlooked the shooting. I haven't because I have him on my fantasy team and it bothers me because <laughs> this man tanks my field goal percentage like no other. Um, but, you know, I, I think this also is just the physical uh, drainage of just the amount of years. I mean, the amount of years that he's had to carry this team uh, just kind of all adding up now. Uh, you know, this is it's he's a, like you say, he's a good passer. But man, his defense has been has been lacking yeah. this year. And that's why. I almost debated on putting Drew Holiday on this list over him was because of just how Holiday can play both sides of the ball well, although Holiday hasn't shot the ball as as well either right. this year. Um, but Lillard is just such a good leader. 
Um, I think this year also proves that the argument that Lillard is any better than Curry just is just denied oh. and should be shut down in any sort of way. Um, so I think it's just horrendous to think that uh, anyone could put uh, Lillard ahead of Curry, but I think Lillard has to be on your top 10 list. It, I, it came to, down to the fact that you're right. His success over years and his most likely success for years to come is just so high and his ceiling is so high and his floor is high as well, just to see what he can do. I think it, it, it quickly turns around. It, it also, I think he's also been affected by the foul rules as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that's just kind of, he's taken some time to like adjust to it as well. Our second agreement of the day, uh, seven and 10. So let's see if we can get another one here, Mitch, who is your number six point guard as it stands in the NBA? Well, my better point guard on my fantasy team is John Morant. John Morant makes number six uh, because of how freakishly awesome he has been this year. A lot of most improved player of the year talk. I like I like the idea of it, but man, I think it's I think it's it's not enough of improvement for me to put him at MIP. But the man has done so much for this team. Aaron, me and you were talking about how bad this Grizzly team was going to be this year. Mm-hmm. We thought that we didn't think we we're going to be, they were going to be any sort of good this year mm-hmm. uh, on this team. And I feel like he has kind of just totally upticked their pos- their potential throughout the entire year, along with some help from guys like Desmond Brain um, has kind of helped as well. Jaron Jackson's had iffy games. Like, I mean, hence are frustrating him being on your frustrating lineup, but I think, he has just shown the fact that he Valentinus being gone, it gave him the opportunity just to be more, uh, just be more of a focal point. He's been also very, a lot more efficient and he's just stepped up on defense, which is something that I felt like needed to happen last year. Uh, defensively, I feel like this guy has taken such a big jump and I feel like he deserved to be number six on that list. Well, you mentioned most improved player, and I also would say that considering how good he was last year, I wouldn't say he would be my most improved. But according to the gods that are Las Vegas and sports books, John Morant is the favorite at plus 175. So if you're out there listening, um, you know, I personally like the Miles Bridges or maybe Tyler Harrow bit of that who are second and third. But, uh, you know, he is the favorite right now. And I think rightly so. Um he is not my number six, but I really appreciate all what you said about him. My number six is Trey Young, another young point guard who's really exciting. Somebody who's proven in the playoffs. You know, that's something John Morant is not. Um, but I have him here, here at number six. I think Trey Young's had a bit of a slower start. His team certainly has. We've covered that in this episode. But in terms of what he can do on the pick and roll, scoring and passing, I mean, his floater versus lob, like it is one of those things where it's like an MLB pitcher where you're able to throw it at the same, the same, uh, the arc where, yep. you know, your curveball looks like your fastball coming out of your arm. It's yeah. the same thing with his floater and his lob, which is just impossible to defend. Um, so I think that alone, like makes him stand out from everybody else in the league, um, as well as his shooting and just his ability to beat you off the dribble. So he's my number six. I think this Hawks team turns it around. And I think based on his performance in this playoff, uh, last year's playoffs, I think we're going to see a lot more of him when it comes to crunch time minutes in the playoffs going forward. He's my number five. So I'm going to jump right into it. I agree with you. This guy is, he, he frustrates me to no end. And (laughs) I hate that, but, but I still respect the fact that he's just such a good player. He, he makes up for his defensive liabilities by being such a great offensive talent. He is, like you said, he is just mesmerizing to watch when it comes to just his ability to literally 
make something that looked like a pass go into the hoop or a, a shot, like a little floater, just go to the go right off to the right side to Capella and Collins. It bothers me, and I hate that because I want him to do that for the Celtics, but he can't because he's not on the Celtics. Um, but I think he he's just so he is he has learned now how to like deal with the he's shown that he's one of the smartest players in the NBA by how he's adjusted to the, the rules this year. Um, just over the past few games, yes, the Hawks haven't shown up, but he has still shown how good he can be on a team that is struggling. He has also shown he's shown that in the past years too before McMillan took over. Um, I think he deserves, like you said, last year's playoffs clutch success. Really show proved me proved to me that he deserves to be even top five, top five uh, in this conversation, um, and so that's why I have him at number five. My number five is Chris Paul. Um, I really debated putting Chris Paul higher, and I'm I'm kind of upset that I didn't because I I love him and the Suns, you know, as much as anybody here, and I think this year he's performed great. I mean, his leadership is un unmeasurable. I think he's maybe the best leader in the NBA outside of maybe LeBron James um, and obviously his potential um, to continue playing at such a, a, you know, an increasing age is, is insane. I thought he was maybe done like three years ago when he was early in the year on the Thunder. He sort of looked a little bit out of it, but then he led that team to be competitive in the playoffs and honestly should have beaten whoever they played in the first round. I think it was the Rockets. Yeah. Um, in, in a seven game series. I mean, it was him and just a, bunch of young guys SGA um, Lou Dort who couldn't shoot I mean it was it was an incredible performance and he makes every team he plays with better which if you're talking about intangibles he should be number one on this list but just currently where he stands right now and his age and ability to score the basketball is definitely diminished but he's still arguably the best passer in the league I think he's leading the league right now in assists at 11 a game Um, so I you know my words for Chris Paul cannot be overstated or understated um, he's incredible, and I think he's going to go down as one of the best point guards of all time. So he's number five for me. Chris Paul's number four for me. There we go. I'm trying to figure out what por- person you have so high that I don't, so that's going to be the one that bothers me. Um, you're Chris, about to find out next. <laughs> okay. Well, Chris Paul is number four for me because of the same reasons. He is such a great leader. I think he is the last true point guard we would have in the NBA. Um, I thought Trey Young has has spurts that, but then I realized, man, this guy dribbles still for 20 seconds of the shot clock and then passes. So Chris Paul doesn't do that. Chris Paul is always looking to he he has the definition of understanding what I talked about the Aaron Fox earlier of who's hot and getting him the ball. Like he did that last year in the playoffs with Devin Booker and Mikel Bridges. He knew when those guys were going, he's like, all right, let's run plays, get them the ball and let's get them going. Let's keep them hot. Same thing with Aiton last year. He knew how to get Aiton going and Aiton looked infinitely better once he got to the playoffs because Paul knew exactly how to get him the ball and in the right spots. Um, So I think this team had, I mean, Chris Paul has, like you said, has made every team he's been on since uh, the, I mean, since he's joined the league, infinitely better. Whether it was the Hornets, now Pelicans, the Clippers, the Rockets, the, the, the Thunder, and now the Suns. Every team that he's been on has been better. And I, I'm a guy who was a Chris Paul hater. I'm mad at myself about that until I was, I, I'll admit to that. Um, it wasn't until he joined the Thunder that I totally, that my mindset was totally changed. Um, and so this guy has definitely proven me wrong. And plus the fact that he still can be a two-way defender and he looks like he has no stop in him for the, he at least has three or four more years in him is gonna, mm-hmm. is so good for this league. I agree. 
Uh, well, Mitch, you're about to find out who I had higher than you because I assume the rest of our list is pretty much the same, at least the same guys um, right. in our top three. My number four is John Morant. You had him okay. at six, I believe. So yes, same same guy, just a little bit higher. Um, I think it's just based on some of the intangibles, maybe, which I weighed higher than you, which would just be, you know, in some tough losses this year, he's come out publicly and said, you know, taking credit for those saying when he missed the free throw against the Lakers or the other night when he had a bad turnover, missed shot and they lost the game. Um, you know, those critical errors, he's owning up to those, which a lot of young players do not. And, you know, sometimes it's the, it's in the post game interview, like the team wins and it's like, well, I got to play better. I didn't play well tonight. You know, it's, it's easy to say that when you win, when you lose a heartbreaking game for a team, that's probably going to be right around the bubble uh, playing like seven, eight, nine, ten 10 seeds every game matters. And I think John ja knows that. And he's so important to his team. Um, you know, we were both very down in the Grizzlies this year. And the fact that they're outperforming is solely due to him. I mean, the rest of that roster is not really impressive. Um, they downgraded with Steven Adams versus Jonas Valanciunas. Dylan Brooks has been out for almost the whole year. There've been some guys like Desmond Bain stepping up who I really like, but jaw has been impressive. Um, so I have him at number four and I think he's only going to continue to get better. I, I meant to say this earlier, um, and I'll say it now. John Morant is showing spurts of 2011 Derrick Rose. It's it's explosive. He's such a – and like you said, he's an incredible leader. He is not he's – not, he's not worried about himself. He's worried about the entire team around him. Um, and I, I think this guy has just all the intangibles to lead a team to be uh, so productive. Because, um, I mean, honestly, those Bulls teams had a, a decrepit uh, Carlos Boozer – uh, Joe Kim Noah was good, and young Jimmy Butler uh, was on that on those teams too. Uh, and later on, Pau Gasol. But I think this team just has the shades of those early Bulls teams, uh, just grit and grind and trying to get the point uh, and get it to their main guy, which is Ja, um, and have nights where other guys just show up. But I I agree, Ja Ja's Ja should be top five, top six in any sort of list, especially this year. And the fact that you have a number four just shows how much respect that he's kind of gotten over this entire mm-hmm. year. Um, my number four was Chris Paul, but my number three, like you said, I feel like these final three guys are going to be uh, all the same. Uh, my number three is James Harden. Uh, James Harden has looked bad at points this year, but he's looked incredible at other points this year. There has, has not looked like himself uh, – hasn't looked like the rock itself uh, this entire year. He hasn't been had the quick first step that we've always, the creepy athleticism that we've always expected of him, but he's still averaging a double-double. He, or at least I, last time I checked, I knew he was averaging, sorry, he's averaging just under 10 assists. He's averaging nine assists, but he's still, he's shooting at efficient clips, both over 40% from the f- three and from the field. Um, it's just, this guy is just one of the best passers in the NBA. It's not, it, that can't be denied. He's still one of the best scorers in the NBA. Uh, while it looks like he might have lost some of his step, the guy is still top three point guards, and he has had the opportunity to actually be a point guard this year with Kyrie not playing and actually just be a top two guy for a team and not have to worry about being a quote unquote, in a quote-unquote big three. Well, I disagree with you here. Um, I, I have James Harden a little bit higher, which we're going to get to here in a sec, but I'll explain why um, later on. But my number three is Luka Doncic. Um you know, I think I think he's slightly worse than James Harden just in terms of his ability to work well with others. 
it's like when you're at the playground and you're like three or four and it's like, no, you have to share your toys. Like you have to play well with others. You have to, you know, be a good teammate, a good friend. It seems like James Harden is that for all, by all accounts. And I know he got a lot of flack the way he went out of Houston, but since ever he's came to Brooklyn, I mean, he's clearly taken a backseat to Kevin Durant, especially, and even Kyrie when he was playing. And I think he's by far better than Kyrie. Um, so I think that was impressive by itself, but back to Luca, you know, I, I expected Luca to take an MVP step this year. I think a lot of people were, he still played great. I mean, his stats are incredible. His team is right in the middle of things as they should be, but I'm still not as impressed as I thought I was going to be. Um, I don't think he's contending for an MVP right now, in my opinion. Um, and I think another thing that has sort of come into question the last couple of weeks, has just been, his ability to stay in shape. And I know this has been a big question of other guys like Zion Williamson, who maybe it's a bigger question with him, but I mean, Luka Doncic, I don't think by my recollection has looked like he's in shape the entire time he's been in the league. And I wonder if that's something he doesn't need to be like, if he's just that good, but it's also a thing where could you actually be better if you were a little bit stronger, a little bit more lean. So then in my mind, that comes back to like a motivation factor. Is he actually really dedicated to, pushing the boundaries of being the greatest of all time or pushing his team to win a championship or is he content with where he is now? Um, so I think that's a question I have for him and I don't have for the top two guys in this list, in my opinion. So Luca's number two for me and the, and I'm just going to go into my reasoning for Luca being number two. It's because I think Luca is also doesn't have the talent that the Nets have the Mavs. I, the Mavs having KP as your quote unquote secondary guy being the streaky one of one of the more inconsistent players in the NBA to have as a secondary guy has also kind of taken a toll on Luca. Kristaps uh, is having a, a, a good year, seven just a little under eighteen points a game, but it doesn't seem it's but it's not efficient. It's not efficient at all, and that's what bothers I feel like guys like Luca because Luca then has to take over that scoring load. Um, he gets help from Brunson and Hardaway, um, but it's just it all revolves around what Luca can do. Um, and he and he plays with guys who are much lower. I feel like the starting five for the, the Mavs is a lower tier than what the starting five is for the Nets, solely because Luca is the best guy on the, the Mavs team, while the best guy on the Nets is not James Harden, and it's a guy named Kevin Durant, <laughs> which I guess it's hard to compete with a guy like Kevin Durant being the, the, on your team. But still, I feel like Luca being the number one guy on his team has to take a little bit more of the flack. The other thing is, James Harden is the same way as Luca. Does not look like he's in shape either. That's I, feel like, I feel like Luca is a guy who's every year played into shape. As we get to February and March, the guy looks a little bit more lean uh, every year. But even the game, I mean, even in games this year, yeah, you've seen his fatigue. Uh, it seems like he's getting fatigued at the end of games, especially when teams start to double him. It seems to bother him. Uh, and also just he doesn't have that quick step as he does later on in the year. I feel like that's the same thing with Harden as well, it, especially last year. That's what was happening. He wasn't as quick with his first step, uh, trying to get past guys until you hit February or March. Luca is the same way. I feel like both these guys play themselves into shape because they literally just eat hot dogs all summer <laughs> and it doesn't matter to them. But I mean, all off season. So I feel like they both are guys who play themselves in the shape and Luca's had just a tougher situation due to the fact that he doesn't have a Kevin Durant alongside him to kind of like get deferred to. He has to defer to a guy who has been broken legged and also just doesn't have the uh, talent around him that the Nets have. Yeah, that's, that's fair. I mean, I think that Luca definitely doesn't have the option really to defer to others 
but I, I, I don't know if that's necessarily in his mindset as well. I don't think mm. he really carries himself like he's that type of person. I mean, he does rack up assists, but I don't think that's due to him proactively like wanting to get his teammates involved. I feel like James Harden genuinely does care about that Fair. and has deferred to KD definitely, um, which he should. But I think a lot of Lucas' assists come from getting doubled off a pick and roll or something or other. I think that was how it was in the playoffs, at least against the Clippers. And he's just relying on Tim Hardaway and other guys to knock down shots. But I think when it comes to James Harden, a thing that tipped me over um, from Luca is just his playoff resume as well. Um, you know, James Harden hasn't won an NBA championship, but he's been to one. And he's won really big series in the playoffs as well in game sevens and game sixes. Luca has not. I mean, he's what he's he's lost two two series in a row where he had a big lead against the Clippers, and that was a very good Clippers team. Don't get me wrong, and he was essentially one against five. It felt like at times, but I think James Harden has that better success there. And I think when it comes to his passing ability, um, as well as just his pure shooting ability, he's a better shooter as well. Luca struggled at the line this year, under seventy percent. We saw that throughout the playoffs last year, not really cashing in from the line. So that again gives me questions about his dedication. That's something you own and can control. Um, so, you know, I'm down on Luca a little bit more than Harden. Obviously, fantastic players, but um, I have Harden at number two. To add on to the playoff resume thing, though, for Luca, the other thing was his, fir- his first year in the playoffs, his, his secondary guy, KP, got hurt like in game two. And so it was literally just him. He carried that Mavs team to a win against that Clippers team by himself. Um, and then, yeah, they did lose the playoff series last year. You're right. But the other thing is Harden has just also had games where he's disappeared. The man ha- has mm-hmm. had games when he was on the Rockets. He took 11 threes and didn't make a single one of them. There would be games this man literally – he took himself out of games in the playoffs because he couldn't – he didn't – he wasn't playing well. No, I don't think there's ever been – I mean, and Luka's only been in the league for a short period of time, but I, I don't foresee a moment where Luka has had that opportunity to – will ever have that opportunity to take himself out of a game because I feel like he's just too important. And not saying James Harden hasn't seen, wasn't too important to those Rockets teams. It's just that guy was so, he was so bad in playoff series against the Clippers, the Warriors, and just down the stretch when it came to the conference finals because he couldn't handle being in those in those game sixes and, and sevens. So I I think we're we're still early on on Luca when it comes to playoff experience, and we've seen even some stretches of where James Harden has struggled. Last year was a perfect situation for him to have not be the number one guy. You could he could rely on Kevin Durant and even Kyrie when they were both healthy. Uh, but Harden only played in one game in the playoffs last year, so I mean it was it wasn't really or sorry he played in that first series and then he only played in one game with the, against the Bucks. Um, so I feel like it was it wasn't a good showing for how not so great he's been in the playoffs but that's fair i mean hey disagreements are going to happen absolutely uh, at, at, at the end of the day we're debating who's second best and third best i mean these guys are both extremely good absolutely uh, but i think at least i didn't think about who was going to go number one really at all in terms of having either luca or james harden take that mantle and i think you obviously agree with me steph curry is the best point guard in basketball no ifs, Sander butts. I mean, he's having an MVP caliber year um, by all accounts. He's aging like fine wine. Um, I mean, he's grabbing six rebounds a game, which is insane for a guy his size. Going to on, on track for a career high. He's officially the greatest shooter of all time. Has made the more threes than anybody passing Ray Allen this past week. Um, and you've seen him also be a selfless teammate, even this year. I mean, it's been 
obviously chronicled when Kevin Durant was there and he took a step back as does James Harden now and others have for Kevin Durant um, and rightly so, but he's even done that for guys like Jordan Poole, like sort of coaching them and bringing up, um, bringing them up and sort of helping them grow as a young player. So I think everything Steph Curry touches is gold. um, And I think he's the number one player, at least at the point guard position and arguably in basketball outside of Kevin Durant for me at this point. Yeah, he's number three, uh, three or four on my list of top players right now in the NBA, um, and there's no doubt about it. He's the number one point guard, and there shouldn't be any question. He, like you said, he he is such a selfless player because he's also one of the best players because of not what he does on ball, but what he does off the ball. Like I said, like we like I said when we talked with Cole about this, this guy literally just does not when he whenever he. he passes the ball he is constantly moving there is this little jitterbug inside of him that doesn't never wants to stop and so he's running off screens he's setting screens for different guys but he's always just trying to find an open spot that way he can get the ball and just shoot because he's like you said the greatest shooter of all time and that should never be debated uh by anyone until we until someone decides to say hey how are you my name is blah 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 and i can shoot better than second <laughs> but i don't think there will be that will be a really long time until we get that next guy but steph curry has it shouldn't it should it should not be debated he's like you said he's in the mvp conversation this year he is averaging what was it just under sorry just over 28 points a game with six and six and rebounds and assists it's it's been a great year for him and especially when he gets his best friend back in clay thompson this he's carried he's also carried a warriors team that yeah. everyone thought that a lot of people were very high on and there were some people who were skeptical those people who are skeptical are no longer skeptical because of what seth curry has done with this team and not only on the offensive end but he's been a great leader for them the defensive end this team is on clicking on all cylinders because of this guy's leaderships as well as Draymond Green's. But yeah, Steph Curry is without a doubt the number one point guard in the NBA. 11 and one record. They've won seven in a row. They're beating teams by an average of 14.7 points per game. Uh, I don't think anybody predicted that despite how high they were on the Warriors, they've performed outstanding and Steph Curry is the reason why Um, we mentioned, we were going to talk about some folks who just missed the cut here of our top 10 um, Mitch, I know we've touched on a few here and there, but uh, just run through your list and sort of a brief explanation on maybe why they didn't make the cut. So we talked about Drew. Ho- I talked about Drew Holiday and Dejounte Murray not making the list. Uh, Dejounte Murray is going to continue to get better and has the ability to make top ten. Drew Holiday, I literally said, probably could have taken over Damian Lillard's spot in my top ten, and Damian Lillard might. I just has too. High, I have too high respect for Damian Lillard to not put him on my top ten, but it's whatever. The other three guys that I had. Well, I can't count. The other two guys I had were Kyle Lowry and Mike Conley. That Mike Conley is having a great year for the Jazz. Um, has definitely turned turned it around for them this year. Um, but the other thing that the two similar the similarities between those two guys, 10 years over 10, 12 years of experience in the NBA and have had a bunch uh, have so much experience and they're just definitely on their downturn. Um, Kyle Lowry started slow with the Heat and he's definitely picked it up whenever they start as they've started to get better. Recently, um, I think both of these guys are definitely top 15 point guards in the NBA and especially um, just they, but they're just on their downturn. And, you know, we talk about these, this list like six, seven years ago, they're definitely on the top 10. Also, I was going to make a joke. 
uh, earlier, whenever you said number one should definitely be Seth Curry, I was going to say something like Frank Campazzo, but um, <laughs> it was, I, I had to throw him somewhere on this list. <laughs> yeah. Honorable mention Frank Campazzo. Uh, we love you. He's officially barely playing, which thank God Michael Malone figured that out. Um, uh, oh gosh. Um, I'm, I'm shocked that you said Kyle Lowry, to be honest. Um, and Mike Conley for that matter. I, I slightly considered Mike Conley, but he didn't even make my honorable mention list. And I didn't even, dream of Kyle Lowry um I I just think his offensive you know production at this point is is just not what it once was Mm -hmm. and I think obviously he's on a really good team with a lot of other pieces um so that definitely plays a factor but I mean he's had a couple games where he's he put up zero points against the Nuggets over eight um didn't have much of an impact in that game and played 37 so um he's also had a game where four points nine points so He's been really inconsistent offensively, um, but I understand why just in terms of his history as a player. Um, I had SGA just missing the cut at 11. Malcolm Brogdon as well, who you had on your list. Um, Russell Westbrook is a guy you didn't mention. I was going to mention him next. He was okay. he, He's actually 13. Um, Evan would have uh, about uh, castrated me if I didn't put that man on my list anywhere. <laughs> I was going to say, he should be ahead of Kyle Lowry. And oh, absolutely. Kyle, yes. Despite, yes, despite yes. how badly he's played, but... I mean, he's still doing a lot more for his team in terms of stats and everything else. Um, and then another guy who might be a little bit controversial is Darren Fox. I know he ripped the Kings earlier, but I think it just in terms of being a young player who can score, he's the fastest player in the league. Um, I just really enjoy watching him. So at this point in his career, I'd rather have him than Kyle Lowry or Mike Conley. That's fair. I just was more... I, I think Darren Fox, I'd rather have those two guys shoot a last second shot than Darren Fox. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Darren Fox makes me want to actually throw a brick at a wall if, <laughs> if he takes a last second shot. So that's that's me and Aaron's top 10 point guard lists. Uh, we are actually going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with a final segment of Cereal and Brews. See ya. <laughs> We are back with uh, me and Aaron's favorite thing to do. Uh, while we do love talking about the NBA, don't get us wrong. We do love just also just catching up. Like we said early on, this is just a way for me and Aaron to just, you know, catch up on each other's lives. Uh, we do text throughout the entire week, but uh, whether it's mostly about the NBA or just random life things. Um, but this is Aaron and I's time to catch up here in Serial and Brews. Aaron, you have some things you need to say to some unnamed people. Uh, that go to your gym. So let's 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 hear this. Well, well, you mentioned we text throughout the week, and there have been many a text sent to Mitchell Sell's phone number, which I will not disclose to you. Appreciate that. <laughs> Single ladies as the most eligible bachelor in St. Louis that Mitchell Sell is, but um, he has received quite a few texts this week at a few ch- frustrations of mine um, that have occurred at our gym here in Chicago, the great quads gym. Um, my former roommate, Jason and I both go to the same gym. It is a lovely gym, but there are some straight up meatheads. And when I say meatheads, they truly are every sense of the word meat. I mean, it is every category of animal you can imagine. And one said meathead has been particularly frustrating me for some while. One time, I think it was maybe my second time at this gym. He essentially got into a screaming match with this old guy. He was using this he was using this uh, leg extension machine and taking about like 10 minutes between sets. And this old guy who's just like trying to get his workout in, like 
you know, he's 70 or something like doing his best. And he just completely told this guy off. The old guy was just, how many more sets do you have? Do you mind if I work in? And the guy just screamed at him. Not to mention he's never wearing a mask, um, which oh, is God. like, you know, I get it. Maybe people are vaxxed up, but this has been a thing I've noticed for him for months, which is just completely frustrating. Like everybody in here is wearing a mask except for you and maybe another person. Um, but anyways, so this guy, similar to the story of the leg extension, was doing deadlifts today or the other day and was doing three plates, you know, fair amount of weight. I can do it too, you know, not a huge deal, but he was taking 15 minutes between sets, taking his mask off and he would warm up for five minutes doing like this gorilla noise that it was just like, Oh, Oh. And he was like pounding oh his God. chest. Like, like what is going on, man? Do you need to pump yourself up that much? And then he does one rep. It's like, all right, you need to stop. <laughs> you're doing way too much. Like you're not even being one of those people who's like recording themselves for your Instagram. You're straight up just putting on a performance for yourself. So he needs to go and figure it out. I've thought about him reporting him multiple times to the owner. Cause it's like, this dude could lose his business license if he's not wearing a mask and he just refuses to do it. And then at the same time makes a fool of himself. So I know Jason, my former roommate uh, feels my pain of his, constant gorilla making noises and grunts for absolutely no reason um so he is one and then another girl who's also just known as the maskless lady who just it's constantly just like a chin strap and it's like why do you even come with a mask at all if you're not going to wear it and she's always with her boyfriend who's diligently putting on his mask and i'm always wondering like how that works out it's like <laughs> does he never like think to tell her like hey maybe you should put it on or why, why are they a complete opposite ends of the spectrum where he's always wearing it and she's never. So that's always baffled me as well. But both of those people are just like, it has been repeated frustrations and now it's finally boiling over. So I'm not sure what to do. I'm accepting all advice, Mitch, on if I should take this up as a confrontation or uh, what I should do. Well, from the first interaction with the old man, I would say maybe don't go into the, uh, the confrontation route with him, with the meathead. Uh, I feel like that only ends badly for both of you. Um, I feel like that ends up in a black eye. And so I, I say maybe don't do that. Um, maybe talking to the owner, because like you said, I don't, we don't want that man to lose. You don't, you don't want to lose a gym, Aaron. You don't yeah. want to lose the gym. What is it called? The quads gym? Yeah, quads gym. It's like the most world-renowned gym and at least in Chicago it's like it's it's known for bodybuilding so right. like there are professional lifters that go there there's this one guy who's like a U.S. world champion has won at the Olympics for bodybuilding and I just like see him all the time he's a nice guy but but yeah I mean it's there are some specimens in this gym well so when it comes to the mask the mask the the, the chin strap lady maybe talk to the boyfriend I feel like, you know, say, hey, befriend the boyfriend and say, so what's the deal? (laughs) Because, because I, the people that do that, that, that bother me, like the worst one was this weekend, I went to Applebee's and there was one of the waiters literally just had it right down here. Like just was wearing it like a high school, uh, high school football players chin strap. Like he does. No, not, not the actual chin strap. No, like the beard that you can't grow chin strap. (laughs) Um, I feel like uh, that's literally what it just looks like at this point. If you so, I say befriend the the guy friend and say, hey, how what what what's happening here? And then we figure that whole deal out. Yeah, that that's fair. I always see him in like Tampa Bay Buccaneers garb, so I'm a little bit. I've always been trying to assess if he's like one of those people that's a little fake or if he's a legitimate like from Tampa Bay guy, right? Because I just have never met anybody like that. So I'm like, 
a little bit less inclined to go up to him because he's been wearing that. Cause I'm like, I don't know how, what type of person you are. Cause I only saw him wearing it right around the Super Bowl last year. So um, I'm a little bit sketched out for that reason, but I def- I definitely think that's the right approach. I mean, when it comes to not the whole, not wearing a mask thing, like it is not a fear of personal safety. Like I'm all vaccinated and boosted and all of that. It's more so for the fact that you can't even follow a simple rule Right. And you think you're above the law and you're also putting somebody else's business in danger and you do it repeatedly. And I'm sure there's nobody clearly like reporting them because they continue to do it. So mm-hmm. um, it's just frustrating. It's ignorance is what it is, but you know, it is. I'm I, Aaron knows me too well. I'm not political by any means, but just, you know, stupid people are stupid people. And so we, yeah. we hate Aaron and I are in this the stance of we hate stupid people. Um, yeah. So I, I say if, all all goes worse if when it comes to meathead talk to the talk to whoever you need to talk to at the business because we need quads gym around um for the aaron carters <laughs> of, for the aaron carters of the world um for for the maskless the chin strap woman i say talk to the man who actually wears it and doesn't have the chin strap of a beard um i feel like that's the play yep all right i respect it and i will keep you updated next episode if i do either of those things I appreciate that. Well, while Aaron's dealing with uh, gym issues, I'm dealing with uh, the uh, the work issue. Uh, not so, not any work issues. I've uh, so like we talked about in the past few weeks. I uh, started my new job uh, this past week. Uh, your boy was uh, was nominated to, uh, for like the top PSR of his team. Uh, so that was exciting uh, for the week. So I was excited about that. Plus, I might have found an apartment to live in which is not 40 minutes a 40 minute drive it's more of a <laughs> 10 minute walk so oh, which, nice. is, which would be perfect uh something downtown um i'm trying to it's i could either stay in the studio or i might get a two uh two bed apartment with one of my fr- my friend morgan uh because she wants to try to move back down to the city because she goes to school downtown um but we're we'll figure it out i'm I am not in any rush, but you know, the, the quicker I don't have to make the 40 minute drive to work, the better. So I don't fall asleep on my way home. I try to almost fall asleep on the way home uh, from work every day. Yeah, Especially just like dealing with all that traffic. And I know something maybe we didn't share on the podcast is driving back from our Halloween party, which at that point was late, but you were completely sober and gotten an accident or well, slight accident with a deer. It's like, I, I, I don't want you driving 40 <laughs> minutes every day, either one way. Like you need to walking would be huge. Cause that was such a ridiculous story too. Well, if we're going to bring it up, we might as well just tell the stupid deer story. Um, <laughs> so we were then, so we recorded the podcast, uh, the night of the Halloween party at our friend Allie's place. Um, I left around like 1am to head back to my place. And so I, maybe a little earlier, but I stopped for McDonald's. So I left McDonald's around 1am, but so I'm Classic. on my way home. Of course. I also went way too long in a McDonald's drive through. Oh, that made me blow my mind. Um, but anyway, so we're, I'm on my way back to the good old O'Fallon, Missouri. And then I'm in the far right lane, getting ready to pull off the highway. And then off to the left in the fast lane, there's this, the car in the fast lane stops, swerves into the middle lane. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? Because then I see an object jump over the median, run to the middle of the road. And I see two beady eyes and four legs. And I see a deer. And I'm like, oh, crap. 
I'm going to hit, I, 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 I foresee it all happening. I'm like, I'm going to T-bone this deer, like, you know, tomorrow with my car, if I do not speed up or slow down. Well, at that point, I'm going too fast to like slow down enough in, in enough time. So I'm like, all right, I just got to blast this car and just go really fast. So I, I just step on the gas and I am going so fast. I, I think I hit 95 and just to make sure I didn't hit this deer and all of a sudden. So I, for the audio listeners, here's how it all really went down. Um, I went so fast. The deer ends up drilling my back left door of my car. Uh, and I, I, and then after it hits, I, it fades off in the darkness. I don't know what happens. I, I, I it might've died. It might've just somehow whimpered away. And I don't know what happened. I feel bad for the deer. I really do. I didn't want to hit it, but, um, but it like took a nice little, like quick V turn. Cause I felt like it was going to drill like more my, my door, but it took like a last second turn right into the, the passenger door or the back door. And I, I was like, Oh my God, the best part about it all. The only thing that was left a mark was literally his, like there was a teeth mark on my door and that was it. There wasn't a dent or anything. I got out of my car and I was just shaking. I was a little tired driving home that night. I was the most awake I've ever been at one 30 in the morning ever in my life with when that hell happened. It was crazy. Highway 40 need uh, you need to get the deer situation. (laughs) But yeah, I, the 40 minute drive has its moments. I, I have taken now seven different routes home um, from work due to the, thankfully there's two different highways I can take home, but then there's like two different like inter- intersecting highways uh, that go around it. I could take like, it's just wild. I've taken back roads home. It's been, the adventures are endless uh, with my drives to and from abstract marketing. Well, looking forward to no more deer accidents, hopefully. And maybe a shorter commute. It'll be exciting. I know you love your studio apartment and I'm sure you love free meals, but it'll, I'm sure it'll be fun, especially if you move in with your friend. That sounds fun too. Yeah. Especially just, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love my roommates that I have right now. Thanks mom and dad. <laughs> um, but, uh, I feel like just living on, living on my own, just, I, I'm, I feel like I'm an independent guy and just wanting to actually like have that independence would be incredible. And so, uh, and just not, feeling like I have to be dependent on my parents. So this just gives me a good opportunity to also just live out the so-called bachelorness that Aaron Carter likes to thrust upon me. Um, so I, um, he was thrust. There you go. I hated that. I hated that. <laughs> um, but thank you all for listening to this episode of the Hooper's Almanac. We are so thankful for our, our uh, unique and, and valid and also consistent listeners. Uh, if you aren't following us on Spotify, please do so. You can also hit that uh, bell up in the top corner to make sure you're getting notified whenever any of our new episodes are coming out. They always come out on Tuesday at 4 a.m. Uh, but, we, you know, if any emergency pods come out, that's just when we know. Uh, along with that, we will be have. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Hooper's Almanac, um, and so that's where we'll be posting all our videos, any new uh, information about our podcast, um, and then also just big bets that we have coming each and every week. Um, and then finally, uh, we appreciate you guys just listening in, and we hope you have a great rest of your week.